Hey, what's going on, guys? Episode 19, David Serpa, Marine Corps veteran. I really, I really enjoyed having a conversation with this guy. Maybe it's because we're both Marines, I guess. I don't really know, but uh, yeah, I loved it. I hope you guys enjoy it. What do you got, Derek? Yeah, it was really uh, kind of interesting how I met him. So I will, real quick, I left my library card at the French Valley Library because I'm a big reader. You know, anyways, but on the way out, I ran into his uh, mom who was like collecting signatures for him in front of the library out there in French Valley. So we started talking and she was telling me about her son. So which is David Serpa, how he's running. And uh, we talked for like 15, 20 minutes. And she was like, oh, you guys would get along great. And then uh, I was at Amfest and then I ran into him again. I ran to the mother and finally got to talk to David and offer him to come on the podcast. And he was all about it. And yeah, it, man, he's. He's very solution-based. I liked all the stuff he was saying. Really smart guy. He's written a couple books. He's very, he has a real vision for like how he could turn California around. And he has a real insight to how like some of these rhinos that are like running the, the city council around here. And uh, yeah, he just had a lot of good ideas. It, it was a really, really good interview. I liked it a lot. I hope you guys enjoy. Uh, okay. Yeah, we yeah, can yeah. just jump right no, in. No, no, but do you yeah. want to talk about it now? No, on just the podcast? really quick. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up having these people that I talked with, and they were like, you know, trying to figure out how much of a Republican I was because I registered as a Republican like this year. And they were like, yeah. uh, you, know, um, you know, we just want to figure out where your loyalties lie. And I was like, I want to make it perfectly clear. I do not have Republican tattooed on my back, I have Patriot tattooed on my back. I don't get. I don't give a crap about the local Republican Party, and this is something I'll say this right on the air. Freaking, there's nothing that's more hated right now than the local Republican Party. Yeah. Democrats hate the local Republican Party, <laughs> and Republicans hate the local Republican Party. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, with their you know corruption and their incompetence and you know their overall stupidity, they've freaking they made an enemy out of somebody that they didn't need to make an enemy out of. Right. They could have freaking played nice in the sandbox. Yeah. Because ultimately what I want to do is I want to win elections. Yeah. You know what I mean? I want to create a winning organization out of the Republican Party. You ever wonder what is the truth? There go those two guys again. Why do they care so much about the truth? I honestly think their questions for the truth are problematic. Don't we all? All right, uh, Mr. David Serpa, thank you very much for coming on today, sir. We're excited to have you. Appreciate you guys having me on PBT. I'm excited to be here. So talk to us a little bit about, um, you know, who you are mm -hmm. and uh, what it is that uh, you're doing currently. Sure. So, you know, I'm one of those guys that, like you were talking about on the last podcast, that didn't want to get involved that uh you know that are more often than not starting to get involved and that's when things get a little bit dangerous for this system right so i'm a marine corps combat veteran i'm a businessman i'm an entrepreneur i'm a father of five and a blended family um and you know i am uh i'm an author of these books right here common sense for california guide to the new revolution and the idea of the new revolution is it is a dedication to creating a better world beyond your heart beating in it um, we're always talking about revolution lately, right? The yep. so, next civil war. And uh, we talk about destruction. And I want to talk about how to create a better world. And I think that those two things are often, you know, linked. And for those of us that have done a lot of soul searching, we know that there's a link, a link between being creative 
and being destructive. And it's often the most creative people that are very violent people. And so I'm one of those people that's a representative of a lot of people that are a lot more violent than I am, that I'm desperately seeking peace, common sense, and a better way forward for my state that I freaking love. I've lived in California my whole life. Mm-hmm. I've watched my sister's family leave, watched my other sister's family leave, and uh, it kills me, man. I want to I wanna turn things around here, and we could do it. So where'd you grow up in California? I grew up all over Northern California. I was born in the Bay Area, moved inland to Fresno. Then I moved inland again to the Sierra Nevadas and I jumped around, you know, the Sacramento area, you know, Riverside, but, or not Riverside, Roseville. But, um, uh, my mom worked three jobs often growing up. My dad was kind of in and out of my life, you know, um, and I was in and out of shelters in and out of, you know, lived in section eight housing for five years until we aged out and became homeless and uh, graduated from high school, homeless, living with friends. And um, I've seen a lot of this system from the other side of it. And I know that it doesn't serve uh, the economically destitute, which is what so many of us are becoming. We're really siphoning our lower and middle class of their wealth and making it very difficult for people to bridge that gap. Hmm. Yeah, that's also true. It's an economic thing. People don't realize we're all about to be in the same boat financially. Mm-hmm. That's you know, right. whether you're liberal, conservative, Republican, if the power goes out, all that goes out the w- window. All the discussions about the school and the books and all that stuff that they're having us focus on. That's right. All this transgender stuff, LGBTQ+, because it's taking the eyes off the economy, really. Mm-hmm. And that's people right. like are running up their credit card debts and... I'm like, I don't have kids, but I see like the younger generation mm-hmm. and just logically, I'm like, damn, I'm scared for them. How are they going to make, they're not going to be able to survive. That's like, correct. Well, we've become financially devastated. We've become conquered and colonized as a country. Hmm. And when you look at a, con- a conquered country, you look at a group of people who don't own their homes. They don't own their businesses. They don't own their oil or their water or their lithium or their uranium. You're basically describing America. You know, you, we've got a bunch of people that are financially devasta- devastated, living in the richest country in the world, mm-hmm. living in the richest state in that country. And w- you look at California and you can't find a bridge that doesn't have homeless people living underneath it. Uh, you, we're giving health care to illegal immigrants, but mm-hmm. we couldn't even vote on giving health care to our own citizens. We watched a $98 billion surplus turned into a 68 billion dollar deficit in two years under governor governor newsom's tutelage so i'm looking at a lot of this stuff and i'm thinking you know god unless we start going back to common sense which is you know just really basic stuff to define what common sense is we're going to lose our grasp on this country and uh you know we're going to be cycling towards civil war uh the next global war on terrorism uh the next uh great depression so the answers are pretty simple you know i want to go to water being the cornerstone of every great society. You know, why are we not invested in desalination, funneling our fresh water inland, you know, growing the food that we eat here, which would bring down food cost. Mm-hmm. And that's by design. They want to dry up our state. They want to dr- drive down the cost of real estate. Uh, you know, water, now energy. You know, why are we not bringing down the cost at the pump, drilling here, building yeah. a bridge to a nuclear future? You and I are both military guys. We know that every nuclear sub, every, or every submarine, every naval vessel is ran on nuclear energy and they drink desalinized water. It's too efficient. That's why they don't want to share that with the American people. So you got water, energy, defense. You don't have a country if you can't defend it. And so we're too busy laundering money throughout the world through the Department of Defense, which has failed its sixth consecutive audit. 
They're unable to account for 61% of $3.5 trillion throughout the world. And so the Department of Defense is no longer this global force for good. It's become this force for imperialism where we are siphoning money from the public sector, our wealth, and sending it directly to foreign countries. 70% of the world's foreign dictatorships are funded by us, the American people, and that kills me. So water, energy, defense, healthcare. You know, President Trump said that he wanted to run on repealing and replacing Obamacare. We have 650,000 medical bankruptcies every year mm-hmm. in America. 65% of all bankruptcies are that are filed are due to medical debt. You know, we could always afford bombs, but we can't freaking, you know, we could always afford war, but we can't afford to freaking heal people, right? Right. And then finally, uh, education. We used to lead the world in education. Now California ranks 53rd out of a country that has 50 states. And how is that? Well, it's actually lower than two territories. And so California is doing that poorly on education. And so, you know, bring in the trades, bring in certificate programs, licensing programs, uh, give parents choice over their children's education. That way they're not trusting their education to a failing zip code, a failing lottery, um, you know, whatever it is, they're having uh, an opportunity to put their parents in the driver's seat of their children's education. So they're getting out of high school actually able to eat, able to feed themselves, and hopefully able to buy a house. Less than 16% of Americans can afford to buy a house right now. Mm -hmm. The average home buyer is 49 years old. We have sold the next generation downriver. Everyone wants to talk about how lazy Gen Z is (sighs) while we're all saying, oh, you know what, I think I'm gonna take care of my own right now, worry about my own family. You know, uh, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not going to run for office. I'm not going to get involved. You know, okay. All right. Well, meanwhile, we have been selling the next generation downriver. Yeah. I've heard that when, like, I heard someone say about, like, our parents' generation and stuff that bought the houses, you know, like, after the housing crash and everything. They just got, like, kind of lucky. Like, they bought a house in Temecula for 200 grand. Now it's worth a million. Mm -hmm. And they act like there was some, like, uh, uh, intelligent investor mm-hmm. like it used to be easy to buy the house and buy properties mm-hmm. and rent them out and then and then it, and then it jumped up so high you're like oh I just made 500 grand for doing nothing I don't know what I was doing but what the, but people don't realize is you didn't make 500 grand your dollar is now worth significantly less mm-hmm. and yeah. so I'm a real estate agent that's what I do I've helped people leave California for the last 10 <laughs> years I've been listening to them talk about why they're leaving and what's interesting is you look at a house like let's say in Riverside you know or in Temecula like you talked about you know $200,000 10 years ago right and now it's a million dollar home well is it because that house is now worth five times more no, not necessarily. It used to be back in the 1950s that you would buy a house for three times your annual wages. Now, locally, it's about 11 times your annual wages. Now, is a house providing that much more value? No. What's happened is your dollar is worth about a third of what it was, a fourth of what it was, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And you can see that in the home prices. So, I feel like a lot of this stuff is important because for me as an American, I want, I look at like the, the next generation, the mm-hmm. younger, the younger people, boys, girls, whatever. They don't like America. They don't like it. They don't feel like they even have a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't look like back in the day, you used to be able to pump gas at the gas station. You had an eight bedroom house with a white picket fence mm-hmm. and a dog that would like, you could, you could just work at the grocery store and then afford mm-hmm. a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Fill up your tank for 11 bucks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that that's laughable now. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I think that that's a big part of our problem, our cultural issue where 
people aren't patriotic. Mm-hmm. People don't buy into the system. And then if you look at the way things are being sold to the young ones culturally, they're they're constantly being told how negative it's been and mm-hmm. how wrong it's been. And um, well, look at the ways in which the system has failed them. You know, mm-hmm. we were told, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, I'm 38 years old. And I didn't buy into the student loan thing. I didn't go out and go to, I actually dropped out of junior college three different times. Very proud of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> it was just a, it's not something that I wanted to do. You know what I mean? But uh, um, there's value in education for certain people. And a lot of people were Certain sold. careers. Certain, certain careers, careers I think require it. That's right. Sure. And it's because we've drained value out of the K through 12 education to make college so necessary for everybody. And then we make it $25,000 a year. And then we have every single one of those student loans be backed by the government. You know what I mean? And so who's ultimately getting paid? You know, mm-hmm. like who's ultimately getting their uh, their wheels greased? And so the, the difficult thing is the system does not serve us in any way, shape, or form. And it, the system has so big that it's the swamp like if you know mm-hmm. it doesn't start in dc it doesn't start in sacramento it starts in your local area mm-hmm. in your local republican party and th- we could talk about this we could talk about how you know me running for office for a first time you know the the sort of things that are stacked up against you you know first off the Ca- california secretary of state will not allow you to identify as a veteran as a ballot uh, on the ballot one of your three words is a ballot designation author, entrepreneur, you know, teacher, whatever, cannot be veteran. That's, See, that's they're uh, terrified of the veteran movement, well, I think. That, yeah. That's why they were just talking about that yesterday. Yeah. He was kind of filling me in about uh, the VA mm-hmm. and, like, how it works when you retire from that. Because I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how it works when you retire from the military or get out and how, like, you can't get the insurance you want for mental health. And the VA is just so backed up. The VA is, like, a might as well be, it sounded to me, like a front. Yep. It's not even, like, they don't care about. And it's interesting that as you say that, that because uh, they try to sell this new health facility, like, they really focused on, hey, we're trying to help the vets. They're trying to get on the vets' good side. Yeah. But so all the vet- I've seen the inside of the VA, just like I'm sure that you have. I've checked yeah. myself into the VA uh, mental health facility in 2018, mm-hmm. and it was broken beyond repair. I walk in there wondering what was wrong with me. I walk out with a list of things that are wrong with me and a bag full of medication. This post-traumatic stress disorder narrative has become extraordinarily uh, hurtful for our veterans, and it's holding us back. They want veterans to believe that we are broken beyond repair, they want us to believe that our oath of enlistment has inspi- expired and because it's dangerous. If you got 1.7 million veterans in California, more than any other state in the country, by a mile, by the way, um, you got 1.7 million veterans and they start believing in post-traumatic growth, the idea that we're better men or women than we were that went into combat. I mean, holy smokes, that's a dangerous narrative. All of a sudden you start believing that the best of us are the ones that were willing to die for this country. That in the event that we were attacked, these were the ones that would go and pick up a rifle like you were talking about in your other podcast mm-hmm. and show up and flack up and lead and be willing to die for their country, but not go and hide with the women and children and, you know, with the billionaires, which the women and children and billionaires, yeah, and yeah, the bunkers, yeah. <laughs> right. you know, the ones that would actually show up. And so you can't identify as a veteran. You can't tell people that. So I tried to fight that. I said, hey, listen, you can tell me that I'm not a veteran. That's fine. But I'm a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. That's the official Marine Corps policy. It's on the website. I included all this documentation. 
send it into them. Sick. United and States Marine. We had a phone call. <laughs> they tried to call me out on it. They said, hey, listen, you're no longer a Marine. I said, no, I am always, always a Marine. A Marine. There's no ex-Marine. There's no retired Marine. Yeah. I'm just now serving with a tie-on instead of a flag. There's no expiration date on my oath of enlistment. 100%. Zero. I, I didn't get de-radicalized when I came back from Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't yeah. like turn in my machine gun and they were like, okay, now you're going to go meditate for 72 hours and become a more peaceful person. No, man, I'm still the same radical. I'm still the same crazy dude that's willing to kill people to protect this constitution of this country and against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I just know like you know like you know that our enemies are here mm-hmm. yeah and i don't want to kill them i don't want to kill anybody i want this to be a peaceful revolution but we've got two revivals that are happening right now in this country we have a national revival what it means to be american you know being proud again of you know uh, i'm a nationalist I'm a, i believe in this country i believe in these people i believe in you know putting americans first and an american agenda first you know and i am a, i'm a populist I want. I believe that we agree on eighty-five to ninety percent of stuff, but they're using these tactics to divide and conquer us, because we are, like I said, we are conquered and colonized people. Uh, we pay more than fifty percent of our wages to the federal government or our state government or our local government um, for something that's not serving any of us. People make jokes, you know, and I know that this is a touchy subject with the the anniversary of J six, mm-hmm. but uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but but. People make comments about when do we get to use the guns? And I was telling Derek this the other day is I think that we're so far beyond that mm-hmm. that it's too late. Mm-hmm. They've all, we've already been encroached and it was the generations before us. Mm-hmm. We just are a society that got comfortable and we've allowed the government to overstep so small but multiple times mm-hmm. over 60 years mm-hmm. um and Vi- yeah, yeah violence is written into our constitution right yeah and but the diff you know and you need three percent of the population to engage in violence in order to overthrow a government right mm-hmm. but like you said we're past that yeah it's an uphill battle now like you're considered an extremist to say oh i believe in the second amendment you mm-hmm. know it's like the, the the reason why there are people who are afraid of guns is because there's been so many generations in their bloodline before them that didn't normalize it. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, we used to walk around with firearms all the time. Mm-hmm. And to, when you when you don't exercise your rights, you lose you them. Lose them. And the government is always clawing for them. And if you don't realize that, then it's too late. And there's too many of us that, that just, they don't care or realize it. So yeah. I think now it's, like you said, the local thing. It's about... Now we now it's time for accountability. Mm-hmm. This is what the people want. And it's not about, oh, we're going to get it or we're not going to get it. It's about we told you what you wanted and you didn't represent us. We came to you on the on the main stage in the public era area mm-hmm. and we explained to you what we wanted. You did not represent us. It's mm-hmm. time for you to go. It's time for the people. We, we rely too much on the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. They failed us miserably. 100%. There's a lot of things that I think COVID woke us up. You said this about COVID. COVID woke people up and was like wait hold on what Mm -hmm. like what are we doing here not everybody was on the same page and a lot of us didn't agree and our our rights were uh, encroached again Mm -hmm. you know so i started writing this book i'd outlined it before covid started and then i started putting pen to paper the day one of lockdowns 
So I was talk, thinking about a revolution as something maybe would 10 years, 20 years in the future, maybe people would read this book after I died at some point. But now everyone's talking about it. And you said something that I have heard with people everywhere, because I'm talking to people about politics everywhere that I can. They say, past the point of voting. That's a scary sentence. Because what does past the point of voting means? That means, hey, because they tell me, hey, I don't trust the elections, you know, fix the elections and I'll vote. Or they tell me, we're past the point of voting. Now, for past the point of voting, that means violence. That means Americans killing Americans on American soil. I refuse to believe that we're there. I refuse to believe that we're there. And so, I mean, what do you do the day after a violent revolution? What, like, if that insurrection was absolutely an insurrection, right. and people had showed up with guns, and they had stayed, they didn't leave after three hours, and people were killed, you know, then it would have been a different story, but that's not what happened. What happened was uh, a riot that got out of control and uh you know sure there's some property damage and violence but we all saw that during the summer of love mm-hmm. you know we saw that during the blm rallies r- rallies and uh you know that wasn't in our nation's capital but the thing is that was a lot of destruction to people's businesses to main street and whatnot but you see all of that that like to, okay to me that whole thing i'm from connecticut so i have a lot of liberal family a lot yeah, of liberal friends from like back home um, and I talked to them and they're like, oh, that was just ridiculous. That was just out of hand. And um, it frustrates me because if you do compare that to the riots in some of our major cities, it's like e- elitism at its ugliest. Like, mm-hmm. just look at it, mm-hmm. you know, like it's OK for our cities to be destroyed. Yep. But if somebody crosses a border in in the uh Capital mm-hmm. on January 6th and there there's tour guides and they're just walking through I mean I'm sure that like you know mm-hmm. they were screaming and making mm-hmm. noise I don't know right yeah. but it's like you're 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 making this seem like it was a terrorist attack and then when real terror is happening in our streets you're quiet and some are supporting of sure it. yeah how many people died on January 6th you know, it was just one. It was just one. Yeah, like another lady, I think, that's too, right. did like got beat up by a oh, cop I in the hallway. Yeah. Did she and die? Though? Never, did she yeah, die? They, she and they never. She got caught in like the chaos of it. And there's huh. a video, I guess, of some police officer like I know beating the Ashley shit Babbitt out of her and killed her. They never mentioned that. Yeah, Ashley, Ashley Babbitt, Babbitt was killed. Right. And then somebody died of a speed overdose. And then I think there were two two heart attacks or whatnot. Yeah. And uh, when you look at this, you know, and insurrections are normally very violent things. And so, you know, like I don't want to right stay on this too long. But, you know, when you look at this sort of thing, you know, uh, people say, oh, well, there's there's red ants and there's black ants in the thing, you know, and, and they shake it up. You know, what do you do? And I'm like, jump in, jump in. If you're a leader, jump in. If mm-hmm. not, go home and tweet about it. Because when, you know, during the Summer of Love, you know, uh, the, the BLM uh, protests happened. This is one of the reasons why there's a lot of people that are frustrated with me locally. I went to the BLM rally in Temecula. Well, everyone was home tweeting about it and, you know, oh, stay safe. And, you know, Temecula's better than this. I just showed up. I put on my combat boots. I put on my Marine Corps hat. I went by myself. I didn't carry a freaking firearm. And I just went to love on people. And I put up a post about it the day it happened. And I said just that. Every sheriff that I passed, hey, I love you, my brother. Love you, family. I appreciate you showing up and making sure that people have an opportunity to be heard. And I talked to a lot of the young people that were there. Because overwhelmingly, 100% of the crowd was under 30. But I would say 95% of the crowd was probably under 22, 23 years old. And I was hey, I love you guys. I appreciate you guys showing up and being heard. I appreciate you guys showing up to, to, to have the conversation. And that's what we should be doing. 
Let's talk. Let's have uncomfortable conversations. Because right. if you don't get comfortable having uncomfortable conversations, we're going to lose the ability to have them at all. That's it. And that generation, the 22, 18, 22, like that BLM, they're just going based off, they're still young kids. They've only been told one side of the narrative. They haven't even heard our side yet, and they haven't heard our side face-to-face in like a normal reality. They don't know how to have a normal conversation. Like you said, the K through 12, and they're so, with social media, I believe they're so emotionally impul- emotionally charged with everything going on. I think you could say that about both sides, though, yeah, if, if we're going to be fair. Because, you know, I, so what a lot of this was about was about, you know, Kaepernick took a knee. Everybody lost oh, yeah. their damn mind. Mm-hmm. I'm a combat vet, brother. Freaking, I, I got shot at for free speech. If you want to kneel, if you want to wrap yourself up in the flag, if you want to burn the flag, whatever. I'm not going to kneel during the national anthem. I'm just not going to do it. I, I, I've lost friends, you know. They, you know, and say no more. I'm a patriot. I freaking, I just, I can't do it. But I understand why people are doing it. And if you don't give people an outlet to have the conversations, then they're going to freaking act out. They're going to get stupid. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these young people that are 18, 19, 20 years old. They've learned about things that our parents' generation still haven't learned about. That I learned about as an adult. You know, redlining, racial housing covenants, heirs' property rights. You know, the heirs' property rights. The way that black wealth was appropriated in the South is the same way that they're taking native land in Hawaii right now. And so this Mm, stuff, mm -hmm. it's applied to all of us. Right. And that's what I'm trying to let people know. This race is the cousin of economics. But at the end of the day, poor people are poor people are poor people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the Black Panther Party, why they were so radical, they said all power to all people. You know what I mean? That's what's dangerous. I tell you that all the time. Like there's these organizations that we learn something about that wasn't the case. Like the Black Panther Party is a huge one. When I Mm -hmm. did research on them, they were really like take away the race. You know what they Mm -hmm. were? They were Americans who understand on their constitutional rights and support everything and they also believed in educating themselves mm-hmm. they were organized and they mm-hmm. worked they were effective so mm-hmm. what did our government do is they labeled them as this crazy extremist group and that's how we learned growing up we mm-hmm. they don't really go much into that in mm-hmm. like regular public school we don't talk about how they were fill- feeding they said oh well why are black children failing in schools well they're not eating breakfast Okay, well, let's organize along class lines, race lines, you know, whatever, you know, zip codes, and let's feed these children. And they're feeding 10,000 children a breakfast every day. You know, they were setting up health facilities in underserved areas. They're part of the reason why we know that there's sickle cell anemia. Mm-hmm. And so they were exercising gun rights. You know, yeah. the Mulford Act in 1967, which did away with our right to open carry in California, was done as a reaction to the Black Panther Party. Like, listen, man, those rights got applied that took they took away from them while we were all cheering got applied to all all of us us. it's yeah man ah man we're getting so deep into all these different weeds i kind of want to all right let's pull back a little bit let's i want to learn about you and your campaign i see where you're at big picture and i'm sure we can we can talk about this all day so talk to me real quick so when did you end up out this way yeah so um i got uh stationed in camp pendleton in the marine corps what year what year did you join what year did you uh, join 2010 America? okay so you came in in 2010 yep. got yeah. it got it yep i enlisted out of santa Ana. i was you know acting before then and directing and you know uh doing the whole la thing and then my sister is a combat vet she went to iraq 
And uh, I was very inspired. I went to a Memorial Day celebration with her and a lot of veterans. I was the only person my age that wasn't in uniform. And I enlisted at 23 years old, a little bit later, you know what I mean? But I was a Screen Actors Guild member at the time. I was writing and directing on stage. I wrote and directed a movie. And I obviously wasn't very good. Otherwise, you would have heard about it. <laughs> so, it's about the you ever been to Blockbuster? <laughs> Way in that corner. I used to work at Blockbuster. Me too. That was the that best was like, well, job of my life. Job. I miss it, man. <laughs> Don't get me started on Blockbuster. Get the whole podcast about Blockbuster. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast about Blockbuster. But I loved it, man. And then I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Loved the love the Marine Corps. Loved the Marines. I was excited to get out after four years. I had my ankle reconstructed and fused. Went to Afghanistan. Had you know combat deployment. Uh, spent a couple months, freaking you know, out there in uh, the South Helmand River Valley, and uh, and then jumped into real estate. Did real estate for ten years. It was all good and whatnot, but yeah. at this point, I'm feeling called to freaking serve in uh, in government, you know. And uh, I'm I think that when you feel called to do something, when you get orders from higher, if you accept those orders and you go to your area of operation and you get more orders, good soldier, good marine, you get more orders. If you don't follow orders, you don't get more orders. God stops talking to you. And so, um, you know, 2018, I checked myself into the VA. We were talking about that. And they asked me, they said, um, hey, do you know, you think God's talking to you? I said, yeah, I think God's talking to me. You hear God. I, I hear God. Okay, well, you're bipolar. <laughs> you uh -huh. know, you're bipolar. You're autistic. You're, you know, all these different things. Okay, that's fine. You know what I mean? But that's where I'm at. I'm a Christian. I'm telling you where I'm coming from. And I might not be everybody's view of what a Christian should be. And I might not be everyone's view of what a Republican should be. But I'm not marching to the beat of your drum. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to beg for your freaking support, for your endorsement, for your money. I'm nobody's freaking boy. I'm nobody's freaking whore. And, uh, and I'm locking eyes with the establishment right now. And I'm letting people know that because they wanted to charge me so much money to do this. It's a pay to, to play run system. to run. Let's blow. The, I'm going to blow the freaking curtains. Back okay. On yeah. Thing. Yeah. Please. So every single person that you meet with, when you're a new candidate, they, all they want to do is they want you to meet with all the political prostitutes, the political consultants down in the red light district, the Republican Party, and you go down, they all dangle their leg out and they tell you, oh, this is what I'll do for you. But what they're telling you is hey, the first thing that they ask you, how much equity do you have in your house? We're going to need about a hundred to $150,000 to get started to show you're serious. There's three ways that I get paid. I get paid $5,000 a month. I get paid a $50,000 win bonus, $75,000 win bonus, plus I get paid overage off of all your gear. You know, I had the mayor of a certain city tell me, if you work with me, I will charge you $75,000 to run your campaign. If you don't pay me, win or lose, if you don't pay me, I will sue you and I will win. And I said, holy smokes, I've done a lot of business meetings over the last 10 years. That's the first time I've been threatened with a lawsuit before the bill came. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude. And so all they can tell you is about how they're going to get paid. And after they get done telling you all the ways that they're going to get paid, they tell you don't expect to win this time. Right? Don't expect to win this time because they get paid no matter what. Yeah. So what they want to do is they want to – and then you say, well, how come I need to raise hundred dollars to $150,000 to run? Well, you need to win in the primary. So for those in California, there's a jungle primary. There could be six people, 10 people running. The top two that win in March go on to face each other in November in the general election. So last time there were six Republicans running against one Democrat, Mark Takano. 
Well, this time, you know, there were about four Republicans that were in before I was in. I just met with them. I just had conversations with them. Somebody filed paperwork and said, hey, let's find you a different seat. You know, let's, would you be open to helping me with my campaign? I've got people that were going to be running against me that are now running on my campaign. Mm-hmm. They're, they're helping me get elected. Yeah. And the difference between me and everyone else is I didn't spend the $150,000 the political prostitutes wanted me to spend. I spent $3,500. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah. And I will win in March because it's just me and Takano. So I have about 11 months to run straight at the Republican Party to run straight at the Democratic Party, to run straight at the whole entire system and expose it for what it is. I see. I see. Okay, so things are making sense to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to be honest with you, right? Because like, like if you're going to... I feel like if somebody's going to do this, it's you know to kind of go after the Republican Party, kind of like you mm-hmm. are. I mean, that that's what you said, right? Absolutely. Um, I've been, I've been like, does he think he's going to lose? Like, how are you going to win? But, but it's like, oh no, no, no. You've already made yourself their golden boy. Mm-hmm. So they don't have a choice. They hate me. They, they didn't endorse me. Uh-huh. So I'm the only Republican in the race. Right. The only Republican. Oh, but they're not endorsing they the Caliban. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the person I told you about earlier, the $75,000 person, I'll sue you. That person yeah. was the final person to speak out against me and that endorsement. They said, oh, we can make him earn it. But you know what? All of the people that are in these central committees that we don't know about, most people don't know what the central committee is. If you know what the CAGOP is, that's the state Republican Party. Well, in every county, there is a local Republican Party. That's your central committee. These are the guys deciding who's getting endorsed. What they're, you know, and if you, you would know who they are if they were doing a better job. So at this point, they've made an enemy out of me and, st- and, and a lot of other people. They're completely incompetent. They're incapable. It's a bunch of clowns in a big circus. And uh, and people keep, oh, I saw that you posted that the local Republican Party is a clown show. And it's a big circus. You think I'm a clown? Absolutely, I think you're a clown. <laughs> Absolutely, this is a circus. <laughs> this is a mess. You belong in therapy. You don't need to be going to these freaking meetings, you know, uh, clogging the intellectual toilets with your opinions. Because the, these people, they're they're dragging down the party. The Republican Party used to win in California. Now, I wouldn't hire them to wash my car. <laughs> I wouldn't hire them to watch my kids. You know, you talk about freaking the, the party of business. You know yeah. what I mean? The party of entrepreneurship, the party of family. It's all facade. All right, so, so, so Rook, so what do you think the problem is? Do you, are you one of those people that, because again, I've, this is my first time hearing something like this, mm-hmm. so this is great, but I have questions, right? Because yeah. I'm, I'm a constituent, away. right? So, like, do you think that there's what they say rhinos in the party, like Republican in names only, or, or do you think that they're they're really extreme and, like, so turning people away? I love extremists. It? I love radicals, and I love radicals on both sides of the aisle. If you're lukewarm, we'll spit you out. Get away from me. I don't want to talk to you. But if you're radical, let's have a conversation because there's a really good chance we agree on a lot of stuff, uh-huh. right? Okay, okay. The Tea Party, you know, the freaking uh, Occupy Wall Street, they probably mm-hmm. had a lot in common. Let's get real for a second. These populist movements, the MAGA movement, these populist movements, we've got a lot in common. But the problem is these local committees, these central committees, you've got six people in every assembly district. And there's not even public record of all these people that ran because no one knows and no one's running for office. So over 70% of them are just appointed. They just get appointed to their spot. So they've take it for granted. They've been derelict in their duty. They haven't been running the Republican Party. So I want to get people in there. And so what I did was they told me, oh, well, you could earn our endorsement. You could come back and you could earn it over the next couple months. Uh, and I thought, 
The filing deadline is in three weeks for all of you. You all have to run for office. So I got on the phone, me and a couple other people, for five, six days. And we I called everybody that I know, people that I didn't know. I was like, hey, do you know what the Central Committee is? You want to run for office? And now I'm going to make them go back to the people who they've never gone to and ask for their endorsement, ask for their support. So ultimately, you check it at the, at the ground level. Get in entrepreneurs involved, business owners, heads of nonprofits, churches, you know, faith leaders. Get them all involved. People that are capable of leading these successful organizations and then get them into the Republican Party so we could create a winning organization. Mm-hmm. I don't want a bunch of yes men. I don't want a bunch of puppets. I don't want a bunch of kneelers. But I want people that are capable and competent of seeing the new Republican Party to a place of leadership in California so that we're not just running elections, you know, running candidates, but we're winning elections. And maybe we could even flip this freaking state red. Because mm-hmm. that should not be off the table. Yeah. 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 Look at what a terrible job Governor Newsom has done. Look at every major city in California. You know, you ran out of U-Hauls leaving this state. This guy is a clown. Yeah. You, you know what's funny is I feel like even uh, even the Democrats don't like Gavin Newsom. He's yeah. he's really not liked around here. Like, you know, we were involved in like, you know, with the whole recall effort while they were collecting signatures and they were literally telling people like, no, not Gavin Newsom. No, no. It was the state of California. It's yeah. like they they made sure when they were trying to collect signatures for the recall that they did not identify with Gavin Newsom. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was interesting because mm-hmm. it's we all can acknowledge that it's really it's really a failure in leadership. Yeah, you know, it's it's a complete breakdown in leader. It's it's mm-hmm. just bad leadership. You you don't know how to set the example. That's right. You're so corrupt. You're so used to just like lying to people. Mm-hmm. You don't really care about uh, about like providing transparency. You want to provide the facade. Everything's good, and we're going to take care of it. Oh, and look at how quickly he cleaned up the city of San Francisco for Xi Jinping. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that there's an absence of ability to get things done, but there is an absence of will. So he had an opportunity to vote for a universal health care. There was a universal health care bill for Californians that was going to the floor. Governor Newsom pulled that bill from the floor. didn't even go to a vote. And so he doesn't have the best interest of the people in mind. You know, even when Democrats pass something that he doesn't like in the House or in the Senate, he just vetoes it. He just goes and puts a red pen through it and it saved us a few times from some pretty radical and ridiculous legislation but he's not an emperor he's not a king he shouldn't be able to do these sort of things and so time and time again we've witnessed and this isn't just governor newsom this is a an overall felled democratic party in california we saw the bullet train bullet train all of that money go to waste we voted for water infrastructure in 2014 seven and a half billion dollars in water infrastructure never never got built and so ultimately they capitalize on scarcity in healthcare, education, water, energy, food, etc. instead of banking on abundance, which is what we should be doing. We should be shaping the world. We should be building this kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, not concerned with blowing up the other side of the world. If the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what are we doing on the other side of the world all yeah. the time? Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I think people are surprised by my perspective, especially after, uh, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. I'm so anti-war. Mm-hmm. It's none of our business. Amen. And we we went to the Lexit event for the kids 
in South Central. Okay. Um, a Christmas event. They gave free gifts. They had pony rides, a train going around the block. It was at a Catholic church. And it was just so beautiful to see, like, man, these kids, like, this is, they're having the time of their lives. Mm -hmm. But what really blew me away was um, they showed, some, somebody showed up with, uh, like, canned goods. Mm -hmm. And they put all the canned goods on the, on the table. And the DJ said in English and Spanish that, hey, if anybody needs food, it's here. You know, happy holidays. Man, people swipe that up so quick. Mm -hmm. And it's like, my kids do like canned food drives at their school. And you think it goes to the Red Cross and it goes to the homeless. The homeless and the people in need, the families who are struggling, live mm -hmm. 50 miles from us. Mm -hmm. They're in our communities. They're I don't care. I don't care about some other country. And you could call me selfish or whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Fix our problems here at right. home. We ran a, a food drive here in the French Valley Village Plaza. Or every week we were passing out food and you would be surprised at the the type of cars that were pulling up during covid that needed help you know th these were these weren't people that were freaking driving crappy cars some of these were really nice cars nicer than my cars but everyone is struggling right now and in every community it used to be that you know graduating from high school homeless was that was odd that was the anomaly now we have more and more children that are doing that and so we need to be able to turn this around there's a reason why our children are disenchanted with uh with america and uh you know um i love this country um but it's on us to be stewards of this country to be worthy of the country that we inherited and uh and then pass it on to them in better shape than what we got it and right now have we done that no 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 I don't think and so. this is such a huge opportunity for the country. I think, like I said, after COVID, that was a slap awake to a lot of people. 100%. And it's so refreshing to hear you finally, like, solution-based, mm -hmm. creating, creating, like, or we're kind of talking about that lately. It's like, I don't want to keep going negative comments and, like, fighting the, the left or yeah. the liberals. Like, it's a waste of time. We should just focus on our own, building our own community, people that have food stored, water, That's all right. the stuff we would need of God forbid, you know, there is a power out. I mean, God, all the movies are talking well, about you it. You start solving problems without government's permission, without government's involvement, then you're dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Right. But you see, this is, I talked to my wife about this the other day because I do stuff on my street every like first Sunday or last month, last Sunday we set up a tent. I'll do like a brisket on the smoker and people will bring stuff. And I do, the kids come out and play. We put out the basketball hoop. It's nice. Yep. It's beautiful. And it's just community. on the streets. Community, mm -hmm. right? And like, I think about it, like if our infrastructure were to fail, all electricity went out, all water went out, all oil, like there, you had no gas to your house, nothing. Most people don't even talk to their neighbors. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. But think about if you knew your neighbors mm -hmm. and you interacted with them. <laughs> if that happened, we wouldn't all go to the grocery store and stock up on toilet paper. 100%. You know, like we things wouldn't be as broken as it is. It's almost like we were so dependent on this construct. Mm hmm. Yeah, so when I filed my paperwork to run for office, one of the things that they told me not to do is not to put my home address. I put my home address, roll up. I'll see <laughs> yeah. you, right? Because, you know, uh, just like you, I, my community, my cul-de-sac, I know every person in my cul-de-sac. I know their kids. Their kids love me. We play out. We play four square and basketball and capture the flag, you know, and we're doing it all the time. And you know what? They love me too. 
And, you know, we might not freaking hang out every night, but if there's a weird car freaking hanging out in front of my house, guess what? My cell phone's going to be ringing. Yeah, we get texts. You know what yeah, I mean? That's and then so I'm going to be yeah. rolling out through my front door just as quickly as a couple of my Marine buddies that live in the neighborhood. Exactly. Guess what? These guys are bigger than I am. I'm 6'2", 250. Roll yeah, up. You are Come a big dude. I was like, oh, okay. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so the thing is, is like when you grow up in violence, when you grow up in violence and when you're baptized in violence, Right. I grew up in the freaking, I was baptized in the blood of the West Coast. You get what I'm saying? Freaking, yeah. I'm comfortable in violence. I'm comfortable in confrontation. And so when people come at me and they try to get hot with me, oh, whoa, 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 you this. No, 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 no. Come at me. Now I know you're an enemy. Let's get real. I love it when I know who my enemies are. I'm sick of the politicking. I'm sick of the whispering and the freaking, you know, oh, David Serpent, this, David. Yeah, all those things. Oh, David Serpent's got some skeletons in his closet i got bodies in my closet come check it out <laughs> you know there might be somebody yes. in my closet still breathing yeah. come find yeah, them yeah. you get what i'm saying yeah so and i tell people i'm more comfortable when things get violent because it's uncomfortable when they're not violent well you it's also easier to see the weak ones that's right when things get tough you can see there goes the guys falling out of the pt run oh yeah up oh, make way this guy's gonna start walking soon you know <laughs> that's, that's right. yeah oh, i hear your voice shaking a little bit i see your lip quivering oh, a little yeah, bit yeah, you're a little yeah. uncomfortable in confrontation yeah. guess what i grew up in this i'm ready for right. it i love it right because yeah. there's nothing more uncomfortable than right before things get violent mm -hmm. whether you're walking in a crappy neighborhood whether you're out at a bar that's a little bit freaking hostile or whether you're freaking in you know, iraq afghanistan mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. right before things get violent you feel it and it's uncomfortable yeah that's what i feel like 90 percent of politics is it's just right before it gets violent all the time wow and i'm like no i if you're going to scheme, I'm not a target. Targets don't shoot back. Be ready. Yeah. Because I'm going to come at you. I don't care who your family is. I don't care who you know. I don't care who you roll with. I don't have any friends. Yeah. I'm a weird dude. I'm always like this. This doesn't get turned off. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> I don't need anybody. I don't have any friends. So when I say things like that, some people get offended. Like, David Serpa, I'm your friend. I love you, brother. No, you get I get what, what you're saying. saying but no, like, no. guess what? Assume I don't have anybody. Yeah. I'll be freaking there by myself. Because, you know, when I was in Afghanistan, one of the things that I would do, because I'm a machine gunner, and, you know, I, I will open up fire when everyone else is getting down so everyone else can get the safety. That's it. And then I will wait for my boys to open up fire so that I can move. But until then, guess what? I'm firing at you at the cyclic from my freaking hip. That's what you have to do. I'm going to hit something. Accuracy that's by volume, it. right? Yeah. I'll keep you on your freaking heels. And that's my approach to politics, too. It's my approach to machine gunning, accuracy by volume. Mm -hmm. my approach to politics. I'm going to throw so much at you because I know so much about so much that I'm going to keep you on your heels. And that's what Republicans need to be doing right now. We've gotten our butts kicked all over the state of California, and we have deserved it. Because we've ran weak candidates with weak messaging. We've offered no ulterior party platform. And so, you know, every time that the Republicans lose, you know, uh, we're just like, oh, yeah, well, they, they lost. It's California, right? Okay, well, let's buck up a little bit. Let's freaking, let's, let's fight. Let's freaking, let's not cede territory. Let's start gaining ground, right? And uh, so that's where I'm at with the Republican Party is, you know, if we start recruiting good candidates, training good candidates... We start getting behind good people, and we might not win the monetary game, but we can win the military game. We can win the boots on ground. Mm -hmm. We could win in the trenches, right? Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think there's this movement right now of it's it's a real grassroots movement. I see mm -hmm. it throughout all of Southern California. You know, I I, I uh, the pendulum is swinging. 
You know, I say the, the same the, thing. The, the pendulum is swinging, and I think what's happening is you're now getting the general. Okay, okay, get this right. I think there's a lot of veterans who are stepping up, and I think mm-hmm. rightfully so. I tell people all that it's like. If you fought for your country and you're just standing around and letting other people speak for you, mm-hmm. I think you're an idiot. Yeah. We we have more ground to hold a perspective and be involved and be informed than understand what's really needed. Mm-hmm. It's like the the military people really should start coming 100%. out and and it's and it's happening. I mean, yep. we see it. There's going to come a time where people are going to go Oh, he's a veteran. He served in the war, war on terror. Yep. When we go to these board meetings, right? And then there's a guy who is clearly very progressive. He's got like rainbow socks on, mm-hmm. you know? It's like the reason why it's hard for me to take that guy serious is because you're pretending to fight for a war. Mm-hmm. You're pretending. We had a war, buddy, mm-hmm. and you didn't show up. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to take those people serious. Yeah, you know, it's like our, you want me to buy into you as this person that I have to vote for. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what what have you done to serve? Are you yeah. here to serve, or are you here you're to be served? To be served. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're coming from, and I don't think it's the guy with the rainbow socks and the blue hair that's our enemy. I think that that's what we're being taught. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That I, makes sense. Yeah, I think that uh, ultimately. You know, it's the person at home who's not doing anything that bothers me. You know what I mean? If you want to go and you want to pick a fight somewhere, even if you're misguided, I'm glad that you're up off the couch. You know what I mean? And I'll meet you with a a microphone on stage in front of people. I'll meet you on a, you know, we could debate on a podcast. You know, I'm always down to have those conversations because, you know, when you can get out of the echo chambers, you could find common ground to stand on even with those people that seem ridiculous, right? So I lived a whole life in uh, theater and television, stand-up comedy, sketch comedy, before jumping into the Marine Corps. You know what I mean? And uh, and I, I love a lot of these freaking... I love a lot of my freaking Democrat brothers and sisters. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I just happen to identify more with the Republicans. But one of the things that people said to me, or one of the, when we were having one of these millions of conversations where people are like, am I a clown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they said... They said well, are you a, are you a Republican? You know, how serious are you with the Republican Party? Are you dedicated? You know, and I said, I didn't tattoo Republican on my back. I tattooed Patriot on my back. You know what I mean? I'm freaking, uh, you could call me a rhino. You could call me a, uh, a traitor. You could call me a Democrat or Republican. I don't freaking care. But I'm going to be doing everything that I can to do right by the people. Right. Mm-hmm. Not, I don't care what's, what letter is next to your name. Let's freaking roll, man. We've got lots of problems. The demons that you don't fight, you pass on to your children. And right now we've just gotten way too comfortable passing demons onto our kids. That's true. That's true. You know, I, I think um, that's a good point, right? Is you're right. The narrative does say it tells like more conservative people that it's the guy with rainbow socks and blue yeah. hair. And then, it, you know, and, and what's sad is it seems like they're being told the, the more progressive side is being told that like the American flag is like conservative. That's now, right. You know, and it's I went like, out marching with an American flag. Cause one of the things that I want to do is I want to show, Hey, there's a VFW everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, in March VFW to VFW. And I put in, I think, you know, I don't know, 14 miles or something like that carrying an American flag. I got flipped off. And I got cussed at, you know, just holding an American flag. That's fine. 
They did it driving 60 miles an hour past me. They didn't get out and flip me off. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It was right. me and another Marine who's bigger than I am carrying an American flag. Like, let's go. But uh, but at the end of the day, man, freaking, like like you said, those people, they aren't our enemies. You know, they're frustrated about a lot of the same stuff we are, and they're being told, you're the enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they see a, they see a, a white dude in his, you know, his, his mid, mid-30s, early 40s, you know, MAGA hat or whatever. They're like, oh, the MAGA extremist. You yeah. know what I mean? MAGA. I get so much hate. Just hashtagging Republican, hashtagging GOP. F you, you maggot, right. you freaking insurrectionist. Brother, we are family. This country that we have, we there's one America. There's one. Mm-hmm. We better find some common ground. I think that what's going to happen is we are. At- I think we're going to find so much common ground because we've got this, we talked about it, this national revival, this fight for what our national identity is. And then we have this spiritual revival that's happening too. You know, we're called to love one another above all things because it's love that covers a multitude of sins. I'm a sinner. I'm a dirtbag. Just assume I'm a dirtbag. Assume I'm the worst, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But freaking, I am doing my best to follow the freaking cross. I'm doing my best to freaking to love one another, right? And, uh, and But at the end of the day, I'm not running for head pastor. I'm running for a government position. And what I need to do is I need to build interfaith coalitions. I need to build coalitions with the libertarians, with the socialists, with the Democrats, with the Republicans. My district is a plus 24 Dem district. 48% Dem, 24% Republican. I'm going to win. I don't care. Stack them up, man. Freaking give me a Goliath to fight. You know, I'm surrounded. Good. I know where my enemy is, right? Mm -hmm, So at the end of the day, I'm walking into this thing and I'm thinking, okay, I'm outnumbered. Okay, there's a Goliath that needs fighting. You know, okay, freaking I'm an underdog. Great. But you know what's going to happen is that populist voice, that unity voice is going to get so loud, they're going to have trouble shutting us up. Mm -hmm. We've got an instant ability to connect with one another throughout the world. And what you said about being anti-war, I'm so anti-war. Revolution is local. Revolution is local. We should be respecting the sovereignty of other countries. Mm -hmm. And because we haven't respected the sovereignty of other countries, we're having our own sovereignty as Americans denied right here on American soil. You know, we've got our own revolution to fight, and it's right here. You know what I mean? We've got some people to hold accountable. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're on, you're so right, too, with, like, the other side or, uh, you know, the blue-haired rainbow. The people that show up, uh, you're right. They still have the, enough passion, at least have enough passion to show up and, like, kind of stand on what they mm-hmm. they believe mm-hmm. yeah i think it's worse to people that are still like watching netflix right now and like so unaware they're just choosing not to look at what's going on yes and it's like yeah they're more apat the apathetic person i respect the least at least the the you know liberal has their beliefs but you're right because every time we go to school boards and stuff when i talk to the other side like privately mm-hmm. and i usually bring up issues like you talk about the bigger overall issues of like water and like yeah. uh the economics and energy yeah. and like Defense. they agree with the me yep. and a lot of that stuff and yep. everybody i've always talked to even the opposing side one-on-one it always goes like decent it only That's goes right. bad online it's only on social media they talk that trash like that one another but when you talk and i'll never forget real quick we're like when i was working the rehab and stuff you know people with addiction I was always shocked because you always think you see the worst person and they're just so mm-hmm. leaving, coming back, and you always kind of think in your head like, oh, they have no, sh- they're not working on the, pr- like, oh, they're not going to make it, man. I've mm-hmm. got to hope they don't, you know, die of an OD, but they're just not changing at all. I never thought that person would like, but that's always a person that gets like 15 years sober and makes the biggest mm-hmm. change and then it's like helping, you know, other people the most. The person that you almost thought 
you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know, like, somebody's trigger. Like, sometimes you go find somebody on the opposing side that's so extreme, and you have one good conversation with them and flip them a little bit to start looking up yeah. at, like, what's who the that's- real enemy is, and you get someone like that on your side. That's what they're terrified of. Like you said, that's the true populist movement, mm-hmm. whether it's BLM or the LGBTQ+. Plus. They, like I, I still think they just haven't heard our side face to face, and when you hear our our point of view, it's hard to to deny. That's the thing is they don't want they don't. And, and when I say they, the establishment, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I like that word, mm-hmm. right? Because that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. the establishment doesn't want us to engage. Mm-hmm. So when you're inside of your echo chamber, you're constantly fed information to make it so you don't even want to engage. Yep. But it's like when you do, it's way different. You know, I just. I walk with my neighbor almost every day. We go on walks. He's a teacher in our district. I have a no recall sign. He has a recall sign. Every day him and I go on walks and we talk about everything. Life, it's like, it's not not as much about I'm on, uh, we, we don't agree on this. It's more about our ability to not agree and still have a beer, still That's be right. normal, still be community members, you know? Your, your neighbor is not your enemy. That, yeah. And we've yeah. been sold this, this lie that your neighbor is your enemy. That's not the case. And uh, <clears throat> when you get an opportunity to not just have them hear our side, but hear their side, listen mm-hmm. to them until they're done talking. You know, take notes instead of freaking interrupting them. We're going to find these common grounds. One of the people that I really love, I love MTG. A lot of people hate on Marjorie Taylor Greene. But Marjorie Taylor Greene will work with anyone to stand against war. She takes a picture with Code Pink and everybody loses their mind. I'm like, no, no, no. She's taking a picture with Code Pink because they are also standing against war. And then when you talked about addiction, you know, a lot of people that are struggling with addiction, they're struggling with God. You know, they're reaching for God. Yeah. You know, and I, there's this beautiful movie about, you know, the founding of Calvary Chapel and whatnot. I can't remember what the name of the movie was. Yeah, God, I've heard about that movie, too. I think you're telling me about it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I was at Amfest. You got to watch this movie. I okay. can't remember what it's called right now. But do you know which one I'm talking about? No, no. So it's like the founding of Calvary Chapel, which, you know, down here in Southern California. And uh, and these a lot of young people, there's this guy who comes, he's like a, kind of a hippie, long beard and whatnot, but he ends up preaching a lot of truth the guy brings him into a fold and whatnot and he says oh you know these hippies are always doing drugs and blah 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 and she's they're looking for god mm-hmm. they're searching for god so you know true. what i mean and that's what people are doing when they're looking for addiction i think that that's what god is god is love god is love so my campaign slogan it must be love it must be god right so i know what my relationship is with god that's love that's you know with love comes wrath you know comes accountability you know, when your father holds you accountable, you know, there's love in that. I wouldn't love, uh, you know, it would be hard to love a father that didn't hold you accountable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we have an opportunity to love on people like we get loved on. You know what I mean? To listen to people. And uh, everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. Everybody wants to be understood. And if we spend a little bit more time seeing people, hearing people, and understanding their point of view, we're going to be able to find that common ground. And not only will we be able to find it, we'll be able to sell it to them from their perspective. True. So I'm curious to know the position that you're running for, right? Because okay. like everybody, you know, like, is there a certain, because you're, you're running, it's SERPA for Congress, right? Yep. Yep. So is it just the Congress seat? Like, how does that work? Is there a specific district or is so it, I'm running for the vote? 39th Congressional District 
which includes Riverside, Paris, Harupa Valley, and Moreno Valley. This is a position that goes to D.C., you know, go to the House of Representatives. The guy that I'm running against, his name is Mark DeCano. He's been in there for 12 years. He was made famous by the uh, Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? You know, I saw an interview where you were explaining that. Which yeah. which guy was here in that documentary? He's, a, he's an Asian guy. And oh, the, oh, when he wouldn't do the interview. He said, oh, I think we're yeah, done here. He said, I think we're done okay, here. So okay, that's him. Okay. And then he also debated Mike Tyson, whether Mike Tyson should be able to box other women if he identifies a woman. He spoke out yeah. against a parent's Bill of Rights. Sort of this kind of ridiculous stuff that I think that we should just be able to kind of move past. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, let adults be adults, but protect our children, protect women in these spaces. And that way we can actually talk about real things. My biggest issue with him, however, is that he is the ranking member in the Veteran Affairs Committee in the House, even though he's never served in con- or never served in military. You know what I mean? What what why why do you think that happens, man? It drives it drives me crazy. All of those positions are bought. So you fundraise enough money. What happens is Republican and Democrat. Um, and I'm re- a great book called Firebrand by Matt Gates, and he pulls back the curtain on a lot of this. And uh, I'll tell it to you when when we leave too. But um, Firebrand by Matt Gates, and he says that what ends up happening is with the first year that you get into Congress, if you can raise a bunch of money. They're, you're going to show up and they're going to say, hey, send $150,000 across the street. Like from your c- campaign account mm-hmm. to the National Republican Party. You know, and then that will determine whether or not you get certain seats in certain committees, right? Because otherwise you end up not in any committees or in trash committees. So basically what you do is you buy your committee seats from the Democratic Party if you're a Democrat and from the Republican Party if you're a Republican. <laughs> we have an oligarchy. everybody yeah like everybody should be able to just run for a position yep. and be like why what if you don't have that money what like yeah. how are you supposed to do it if you don't come from wealth or a history of this stuff it's a it's a pay-to-play system like everything else that's in this so country crazy. and it's very we frustrating just, and that's we just why the sit VA, back and do nothing about it we just let it happen that's you know? why the va is falling apart right brother you know what i mean is because we have people that are running the va that aren't veterans you know what I mean? I have no connection to that. And uh, so we've, it's a really, it's an, people are abandoning common sense like we've talked about. So I'm running for Congress. I'm running against Takano. And uh, the, a big part of the reason why I decided to run for Congress, because a lot of people are like, oh, run for school board, run for city council, run for, you know, state, a state position. I don't want to. I want to end these freaking wars. You know what I mean? I was at the other side of the world shooting a machine gun at human beings that I would have had more in common with than the people, the derelicts, the cowards, the hypocrites that sent me to go shoot at them in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, these hundred millionaires in Congress that are sending our sons and daughters off to war in countries that we don't even belong in, that we haven't even declared war with, but they're all getting paid. They're all getting fat. They're all getting that Halliburton stock pay. Mm-hmm. They're all getting freaking, you know, all of the, the congressional insider information so that they can invest in war. How sick have we become? And so I wanted to run against that. I also wanted to make this country great. I want to make my state great. I love California. I grew up in California. I've spent my whole life here, all over it. And there are some things that are great about California. Um, like, uh, you know, what things are great? Uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> There's a cool shit map in San Francisco. <laughs> new shit There's a beautiful poop app. <laughs> There's a, we've got beautiful, well, we used to have beautiful cities, but we've got beautiful um you know, uh, landscape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. landscape. Yeah, good scenery. The weather's great. The yeah, weather is great. great. But the weather can only get you through so much. The people are great. 
You know, I yeah. love people in all over this freaking state. And, you know, I lived in L.A. for, you know, four, four years, five years. And people say, oh, L.A. is the worst. Did you get off the freeway? Did you talk to people? People in this state are freaking awesome. We're revolutionaries. Someone in our blood at some point was like, West. I want to go further west. <laughs> and now we're at a point to where we can't go any further west. You know what I mean? We're going to have to fight for it here or the dream can't be won anywhere. And so what I love about California, I love that the opportunity here is greater than any other state. We have more active duty military. We have more veterans. We pay more in taxes by about $70 billion than any other state. So we Hmm. contribute so much money as a state in federal income taxes that if we just stop paying federal income taxes, we can afford to give every man, woman, and child $6,012 annually or $501 a month directly. Hmm. Hmm. So I look at stuff like that. I'm like, that's a massive abuse of tax revenue that we're spending that much money in taxes that's you know, for something we're paying three times for what we're not getting once local taxes, state taxes, federal income taxes. And so I look at a lot of that and I, and I think, well, how much of that money would be better off directly going to people? How much of that money would be better off invested in education and healthcare instead of in freaking, uh, you know, foreign countries and building other countries? Because when you look at the amount of money that we spent on Ukraine, what, $114 billion is that we're at? Yeah. Like you know, a, a desalination plant costs $2 billion. A nuclear facility costs about four to five billion, and yet we are shutting down our nuclear facilities. We're decommissioning them in California, and the only desalination plants that are being built are private. And so, Vice President Harris said, "In the past, wars were fought over oil, but in the future, wars will be fought over water." I don't want to live in that world mm-hmm. when we could bank on abundance in both. We are an oil-rich state. Let's freaking drill. Let's tap into our uranium. Let's build a bridge to nuclear. You know what I mean? Let's actually, the, all of these farms that when you drive down the 5 and down the 99 that used to be green for miles growing the food that we eat here. Hmm. For the last 20 years, we've been seeing signs that say food grows where water flows. Farmers have been pushed out of business in this country. Mm-hmm. And now we're at a point where you got like Bill Gates is the largest farm owner in you know, uh, America. He grows all those potatoes for all those McDonald's french fries. Oh, and what man. we've done is we've abandoned the local farmer. And what they did in India, they're going to do here. What they've been doing in Europe, they're going to do here. So 10,000 farmers were killing themselves every year in India for the past few years. And it's because of all of the regulations that are being passed for, the, for their, uh, their soil, for their uh, fertilizer, um, for the way that their crops are supposed to be grown. You know, all these things that they're pushing, they're going to start pushing here in California. You know, they've already done away with the small combustible engine. We're supposed to be seeing the end of that. That's going to see the end of the farm. I don't know how many farms you guys have been on, but there's not a lot of extension cords running around everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I didn't even think about that. It kills us, man. Like that sort of abandonment of common sense where we're putting farmers out of business, we're putting small business owners. We escalated it during COVID. You know, the number one employer in America is the small business owner. And 40% of small business owners went out of business permanently during COVID-19. This is a direct attack on our American middle class. And, uh, you know, I know you talked about a lot. You talked about a lot of issues that we have that you see problems with. I'm curious to know, like, uh, is there anything that you could talk about specifically on how to actually fix those issues? I know you talked about infrastructure, water, and I want to talk to you about desalination offline. Mm -hmm. Um, But... uh, Specifically, how do you see us fixing this, and what what's the what would you say the timeline would be? 
Well, so the physical infrastructure is huge. Like you talked about water, energy, nuclear energy, oil, you know, I mean, like, there's no reason why we couldn't freaking get that thing moving, rocking and rolling, start growing our tech here, like our lithium, our batteries, you know what I mean? Because if the tech leaves California, it doesn't go to New York, it doesn't go to Texas, it goes to China, because you have access to an authoritarian government, you have access to cheap labor, and you have access to lithium. Mm -hmm. And so um, the timeline would have to be very quick, because other countries are light years ahead of us on desalination. They're light years ahead of us on their lithium extraction. We don't even have the tools that we need to be able to extract lithium from the earth, even though we are rich in it. And China is not selling it to us. And so that's created another situation. I mean, 90% of our pharmaceuticals are uh, created in China. That's a huge issue. And so um, I want to build infrastructure here. It would I, I can't give you a timeline because it's not realistic. For yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. But let, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then I also want to invest in human infrastructure. You know, when you invest in the health and education of human beings, you know, our communities grow. When you can take small businesses and say you don't have to provide health care for people, the government's going to do it. You freaking go make rain, go make money. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. we don't manufacture here. We don't create anything any here anymore. We are an economy. That is based on sales, shipping, and service. We don't create anything. We don't manufacture. Sales, shipping, and service. That's why we have the largest concentration of warehouses anywhere in the world in the Inland Empire. And Hmm. so sales, shipping, and service. And when an economy gets really bad, what happens is you go from sales, (laughs) shipping, and service, and then you add two more S's. Men start selling their security, and women start selling their sex. And that's what's happening is instead of investing in creating a real economy with real infrastructure, real educational opportunities, we're expanding from sales, shipping and service to security and sex and uh, and less opportunities for our children. So K through 12 education, I would love to see licensing certificate programs, apprenticeships being offered in the senior years, bring back shop so that we're giving people opportunity with their senior year. Not everyone needs to go to college, right? And, uh, and then when it comes to college, I would love to see a massive in investment in our public universities in a revitalizing and reimagining what they actually are doing because we know that we need more doctors. We know that we need more nurses and teachers and engineers to create this, you know, create our future, to raise our children. And uh, the best way that we can do that is by educating them and then not burdening them with massive amounts of student loan debt in order to do their job. Mm-hmm. And we know we need doctors. We don't want a doctor to come in and race through and do what they need to do so they can get to the next patient so that they can pay their freaking exorbitant student loan debt. Yeah. Seems yeah, like common true. sense. I want our future to be buying houses and paying taxes. I don't want them to be putting off their, their uh, starting a family or starting a, a job or starting a business because they can't afford their student loan debt. It's idiotic. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, we can always afford to kill people, but we can't afford to heal people. Like, you know, they're like, oh, well, look at how long it takes to get an MRI in Canada. Look how long it takes to get an MRI in California. <laughs> yeah. Let's get real for a second. So why isn't government investing in that? Like, let's get a bunch of MRI, MRI machines. Let's invest in public health. Let's invest in creating the drugs that we need. You know, our patent system for our pharmaceutical industry only serves big pharma. It doesn't serve the doctors or the patients. We've got 10 different medications that equal, you know, the, each one of them are over $250,000 a year. Things like fighting for your life as a child with leukemia. 
You know, uh, there's no reason why kids should have, you know, brain or uh, brownie bake sales for brain surgeries. And these are the sort of dystopian things that we hear about. Number one fundraiser on GoFundMe being for unpaid medical bills. I'm so sick of seeing my neighbors post something about like, you know, my child is struggling or my wife is dying. We just need help. Like, are we better than that? I think Mm -hmm. we're better than that. You know, President Trump was saying, I don't want to see people dying in the streets. We need to repeal and replace Obamacare. Obamacare was a failure. Mm -hmm. It was an insurance mandate. We don't need an insurance mandate. We need health care. Yeah. We're paying for it. We just don't get it. We pay more than any developed nation in the world, yet we aren't covered. So there's a lot of things that I feel like that we can do um, quickly. Um, I'm not interested in being a politician for my whole life. You know, if I go in for two years and I piss a bunch of people off and and they kick me out, good. Yeah. See ya. I'll freaking, I'll piss right off and I'll go write my books and play my music and freaking get five acres somewhere and just, (laughs) you know, whatever. But but the other reality that happens is there is someone watching you that you've now set the tone for. Yeah. You see, and I think that this is going to be a ripple effect of good. people who are coming in to do that. And I think the same thing. Good. Right on, brother. I appreciate you saying that. That's one of the things that I wrote in my book was I need if you're listening to this and you've made it this far into this podcast, run for office. Pick a seat. Pick a fight. You know what I mean? Get involved. And if you're not someone who wants to run for office, get behind someone who's running for office. Like, we've got a fight in this country. And if we don't win it this year, I'm not sure that it can be won again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's not with the left. It's with the top. Yeah. It's with the oligarchs. In the past, when people acted the way that our American oligarchs are acting, we not only threw tea into the harbor, we cut some freaking heads off. We freaking started revolutions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, when you call them oligarchs, not just the establishment, not just the rich, not the elites. They want to be called elites. You're not an elite. What are you elite at? You're a hoarder of wealth <laughs> and material. You're a psychopath. That's yeah. so and it was handed to them through yeah. generations. They didn't earn any we, of it. We call them elites, and they're the actual worst. The you know worst. I mean? It takes a narcissist. It that. takes a psychopath to hoard that much wealth. And what does it say in the Bible about the rich? Right? These are not like, you know, why are we not speaking out against the rich as aggressively as we're speaking out against gay people? Because it's uncomfortable because they're the ones funding our campaigns. Mm-hmm. But holy smokes. In during COVID nineteen, while the lower and middle class lost a billion dollars a day, a new billionaire was created every day. That's mm-hmm. a direct correlation. They were siphoning our wealth. So I just I don't have a lot of compassion for people that, you know, two hundred years ago would have had their heads chopped off. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure. supposed to? Yeah. Right. I'm supposed to feel bad for these absolute animals, these psychopaths of human beings that freaking are, you know, holding us down. I mean, look at how the how, how they're calling us deplorables. I'm sorry. Look at Oprah and The Rock and, you know, their fundraiser after, you know, you know the freaking houses are still smoldering and they're wanting to raise money for and the government's know. not letting the insurance companies come in there to give the people their insurance money for their house that's right so they're like living they don't have they just left those people literally with like just no house. and how many investors were calling people immediately oh yeah. uh, immediately and so you've had the the heirs property rights you know people getting their rights of their property being bought out from underneath them because somebody went out and bought a majority of the rights to that property so um 
we're in trouble, man. We've been conquered. We've been colonized. But I really do truly believe that America's best days are ahead, that we have the ability to rise above this. And I really mean it. I really mean it with all of my heart. We just have to stop thinking that our neighbors are our enemies. I love that you go out walking with somebody that you politically disagree with, you know, every day. Great. What a beautiful freaking thing. Let's apply that to everybody. You know right. what I mean? Like everybody that I see, I'm, I don't look at anybody and freaking, oh, that person's not my brother. You know what I mean? Like my dad was adopted. Okay. I grew up not knowing what I was. I didn't know if I was, you know, people, oh, you're, I swear you're Spanish. Oh, I, I swear you, you've got to be Jewish. <laughs> I, you know, oh, I swear you're, you're Middle Eastern. And people would tell me all sorts of things. turns out I'm 79% Irish. I find out as an adult, but I had no idea what I was. And so because of that growing up, I thought everybody could, I could be related to anybody. Anybody could be my brother. Anyone could be family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I truly feel like that. And so there's nobody that I find despicable. There's nobody that I find deplorable. There's no one that I would be unwilling to talk to. You know, when you f- go out and you meet these people, you end up finding that they're struggling with a lot of the same stuff. I was at this 4th of July parade and I'm hanging out with the VFW. And I went down and I spoke with a democratic club and I'm not going to call out which democratic club it was, but I hung out with them for 15, 20 minutes. And when I came back, everyone at the VFW was kind of looking at me sideways. Like, what are you doing over there talking to the enemy? But you know, that those, those are my people too, man. Freaking they're all my people. And they were telling me they're disenchanted with Mark Takano. They're frustrated. There's no love lost between them and you know, Mark. And so, uh, you know, the people are, they're ready for unity. They don't want to be arguing with their neighbors. They want something that they could get behind. Um, it's unfortunate that things have become so tribal. You know, I'm a MAGA guy. I'm st- standing up behind President Trump. Absolutely. Uh, but there's no reason why we have to be enemies if you're voting for Biden. You know, you're confused. You might be a little mentally ill. <laughs> but I'm mentally ill, man. I can see that. <laughs> right, man, well, man, I'm really happy we had you on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I appreciate having you. And I look forward to having you on again. I'd love to and come back. do, when you make it up, don't forget the little guys in our backyard. You know what I mean? I'll be back in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming out. What an inspiring message, man. That's it's. It's good to hear somebody finally with some like some some solutions and yeah the elites you know I think people are no the oligarchs the oligarchs oligarchs. they think they're all people think that this war is like not winnable yeah I think but even if say they were a bunch of crazy satanists and stuff the devil doesn't have more power than God I agree so yeah I know we look at these oligarchs and there is they trying to demoralize everybody they're doing a damn good job. But it doesn't take a lot for people to switch. Mm-hmm. That anxiety can turn to enthusiasm when they get behind a solution. Like, oh, that does sound good. Oh, like well, that's contagious. Want, it right? is contagious. So that's one of the things I tell people: in order to be a Republican, you don't have to be a Christian. That's not a prerequisite. You know right. what I mean? I, w- I want all faiths to be comfortable here. But feel free to recruit from under this umbrella, <laughs> right? Because yeah. you know, uh, one of the most, two of the most beautiful people that I've ever met in my in my in my life, and I'm gonna throw some love their way. I'll, throw a rose their way even though they both are probably too busy to listen but christian tikis who runs all good things ministries um you know absolutely patient with me beautiful human being pastor rudy gonzalez cert ministries directly fights human trafficking directly two of the most joyful wonderful beautiful people that you could ever hope to meet and when i met them i was struggling with my faith you know uh i I, well i'd known christian longer but rudy I'd grown out a long beard. I'd grown out my long hair. I was playing in a band. I was going through a divorce. And I w- I'd had it with the world. And I was just doing anything that I could to want to stay alive. And when I meet these guys, 
the, you know, they talked to me about Jesus and they talked to me about love and they talked to me about, you know, family and things like that. But the whole time they were patient with me. They were waiting for me to come around. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, Pastor Rudy, I asked him to baptize me. And it was beautiful because he was never pushy with me. The dude just loved me and was willing to listen to me and sit with me when other people just saw that I looked like a homeless guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He saw that, you know, there's a warrior in there. He's a fellow Marine. There's a warrior in there that's hurting. I'm going to listen to this guy. I'm going to spend time with them. And, uh, and so I'm, just, I'm grateful for these radical, crazy Christians, man. I'm grateful for these people that are going to love on people. And they get a bad rap. And they're, they're told that they're hateful and that they're awful and that they're deplorables and they're despicable. It's like, no, man, freaking Christians, a lot of the Christians I'm talking to have so much heart, love in their heart. They're, they're overwhelmed by it. I get emotional sometimes just thinking about it, just driving along, thinking about God, thinking about Jesus, thinking about this incredible freaking, you know, uh, path that we get an opportunity to follow. You know what I mean? And, uh, and so I'm grateful for these people. I love these people. You know what I mean? Um, but I want, those people know that, uh, that the Republican Party can be that big Reagan umbrella where we can have all these different faiths in here, you know, and if we can unite around common sense and around love, I really believe that this country can be salvaged and we'll see this national revival. We'll see this spiritual revival through. And, uh, and when we're anchored in some good stuff, um, you know, our country will come out on the other end better because of it. Hell yeah. We'll close it out there. Thank you very much, brother. That was beautiful. Appreciate you.